This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Shana Roth, and I'm joined this week by Detroit News reporter and good friend of the show, Craig Mauger. Craig, welcome back to Mishmash. Hey, thank you so much for having me. We are getting down to the wire on ballot season here in Michigan. Petitions to amend state law needed to have all their signatures submitted by June 1st, and only one of the 10 survived. That's a proposal to cap interest rates for payday loans. Now, proposals to amend the state constitution have until July 11th to turn in enough valid signatures to make it onto the November ballot. And there are a few groups out there still asking people if they're registered to vote in Michigan and are they willing to sign? Craig, can you give us a quick rundown of these ballot initiatives that are left? Yeah, I mean, primarily there are two. One would protect access to abortion in the state of Michigan. It's called Reproductive Freedom for All. The other would institute a slew of new voting rights into the state constitution, and that one is called Promote the Vote 2022. And how are those two proposals looking? Are the groups confident they're going to get enough signatures? Both of these campaigns are extremely confident that they're going to turn in enough signatures. They're expected to both submit their signatures on Monday. And there's a lot of talk of both of them potentially having a record number of people signing. So record number, how many are we talking? We're talking about potentially more than 800,000 signatures on each one of these. Uh, Takes about 425,000 signatures to make the ballot. So that's a significant haul of petitions. Wow. And they must be feeling really good about that as if it makes it onto the ballot. I mean, I guess what is the correlation there between getting that many signatures and like having your measure pass when it comes time for voting? I mean, it's a good indication for both campaigns. They have strong volunteer networks, both of these do, of people willing to go out and work to promote these measures. And they also have fundraising. I mean, it takes paid signature gatherers to do this as well. And you've got that combination of volunteers and and, uh, professional fundraising going, uh, that, that can be a tough combination to beat. This year has been really rife with conflict and drama when it comes to gathering signatures. There was a massive fraud that kicked about half of the GOP candidates for governor out of the running. There's been a really high demand for paid signature gatherers, which means costs have gone up. So how has this impacted these groups trying to get their proposals on the November ballot? It's a great it's a great question. I think the top thing that it's done is that there was this group of more than 30 Uh, circulators who were identified by the Bureau of Elections earlier this year as being fraudulent gatherers who were allegedly forging signatures in mass quantities. I think both of these campaigns became aware of who these circulators were and were working to ensure that they didn't turn in any signatures uh, submitted by those individuals. So we've got two constitutional amendments left. Let's break those down a bit more. And let's start with the one that I think people are probably most familiar with, the proposal to amend the Constitution to enshrine the right to an abortion in the state constitution. From what I've been reading, this ballot initiative is just off the charts. This is the ballot initiative that had those 800,000 signatures. Is that right? There are comments and media reporting out there about this ballot measure having 800,000 signatures. I think 
that from what I've been able to gather, that is what the expectation is for what they're going to turn in on Monday. I wouldn't count out the idea that Promote the Vote 2022 also turns in a similar number of signatures. I, I, there's been less conversation about Promote the Vote publicly, but from what I'm hearing, they also have a huge haul of signatures. And this is one that I know I have seen a ton of people out and about with like, I think the other day I saw a woman on the side of the road just holding a sign that said ballot initiative for sign here for pro-choice. Was the popularity or the interest of this ballot initiative impacted by the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to say there is not a federal constitutional right for an abortion? Definitely. I mean, the campaign itself, Reproductive Freedom for All, has said that they saw a huge boost in volunteers and interest in their petition after the Supreme Court's ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade. But something else you have to keep in mind is before the Supreme Court actually overturned Roe v. Wade, we had this uh, draft opinion that was leaked that kind of indicated that they were going to eventually overturn Roe v. Wade. So this petition campaign got a huge boost even after just that draft opinion leak. So essentially they got two uh, major kind of momentum builders that, that occurred. And now, uh, it, from every indication that we are able to look at right now, it appears that this is going to be on the ballot. And it appears that at the start, at least, this has a, a large amount of public support in favor of it. Whether that continues for the next few uh, four or five months, we will see how it impacts other things on the ballot. Does it impact the governor's race? Does it impact the attorney general's race? Does it impact the legislative races by putting this issue front and center, by drawing out maybe new voters who weren't going to come out anyways? And, and, and also, it could spur a lot of spending into Michigan to tell voters who will support this to go out and vote. That could help Democratic candidates up and down the ballot. This is a big deal and something that should not be discounted. Absolutely. Just a ton of implications there. Yes. And I'm curious, is there a possibility that this doesn't make it on the ballot? Are there other challenges besides gathering signatures that this amendment faces? Are there lawsuits as a possibility? I know this is incredibly controversial and Republicans are probably going to do everything they can to make sure it doesn't make it on the ballot. Yes, Republicans will probably throw out every stop that they can to try to prevent this from being voted on in November. The hurdles for them is that the Supreme Court and the courts in our state have pretty much, uh, with some exceptions, ha have allowed these, these uh, campaigns, these amendment proposals that gather large numbers of signatures to go through and let the public to decide. And number two, if they indeed gathered 800,000 signatures, which is it appears to be fact from everything that I'm hearing as well, that uh, that will be a large number of signatures for the Bureau of Elections or some challenger to try to throw out. I mean, that's almost double the amount of signatures that you need. So even if you have an error rate of 40%, you'd still have enough signatures to get on the ballot. I mean, that's astounding. Before we leave the subject of abortion, the Republican-led legislature appealed the preliminary injunction blocking enforcement of Michigan's abortion ban. What's the likelihood of success there? And what can we expect to see out of that case? I, I hate to predict the likelihood of success on anything, but eventually this is going to wind up before the Michigan Supreme Court. Democratic nominated justices hold a majority on the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, those are the facts that we know, but this is a very complicated case. There's a lot going on here in terms of how these judges will see the interaction between Michigan's constitution 
and the right to seek an abortion that that is being debated nationally right now. Let's get into the voting rights initiative. There's a lot going on there. What are some of the big picture things that they want for voting? Yeah, so essentially the way that I summarize is this is everything that former President Donald Trump and Republicans have been pushing, uh, every way they've been pushing to change Michigan election law, this proposal actually does the opposite of that. The Republicans have been pushing to require photo ID for every voter, to require um, these very strict ID policies. This Promote the Vote 2022 proposal says, essentially, what we're doing currently with IDs in that you can fill out an affidavit if you don't have your ID with you and still vote normally, that will be put into the Constitution, which will make it almost impossible for Republicans to change it going forward. Uh, another key thing here that will affect everyone is that this proposal would institute nine days of early voting. And you might say, hey, we already have early voting. You can fill out your absentee ballot at any point in the period before an election and submit it. That is true. But this would actually allow you to vote. You wouldn't have to do an absentee ballot. You'd actually be able to show up and cast your ballot normally um, in, in this nine-day period that this would establish before election day. That would be a significant change to how voting operates across the state. I feel like this initiative really kind of pairs well with the abortion amendment or, or there, that there's some level of sort of playing off of each other. They're, they're both very big issues for progressives and Democrats. Uh, I think we have seen recently that voting, the ability to vote is incredibly important. I think people are becoming just more consciousness of how making voting easier and making it easier to vote can really impact people's lives. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing that I would throw into the comments that you made is that both of these uh, amendments are ones that are starting out with the expectation that they will pass if they get on the ballot. The polling has showed widespread support for securing the right to abortion in Michigan, the public polling that we've seen at least. And then when it comes to these voting rights initiatives, just look back to 2018 when the first version of Promote the Vote was put on the ballot, that passed with two thirds support. So the opponents have a lot of work to do to make their case. I'll also throw out one other X factor here. There is a third constitutional amendment that will be on the ballot. It was not put there through the signature gathering process. It was put there by the legislature. And that is the one that would change term limits and require financial disclosure from lawmakers. And from the pollsters that I've talked to, they also expect that to pass right now, unless there is some major opposition campaign uh, to come out against it. So that that's kind of where we're at here on July 8th. Talk a little bit more about that one, because I, I, I feel like I was at least surprised to see the legislature adopt and amend something like term limits. Term limits have been very controversial in the past. Have people's ideas really changed about the length of time that lawmakers should spend in office? Well, this proposal kind of gets around in some ways uh, that old debate over you're either for term limits or you're against term limits because of the controversial way, not controversial, the complicated way that it goes about changing term limits. Right now, in Michigan's term limits, you can serve up to three two-year terms in the Michigan House, so six years in the House, and two four-year terms in the Senate, so that's eight years. So that's 14 years overall that you could serve in the legislature maximum. This proposal says you can serve 12 years in the legislature now, but you can serve them in either chamber if you want to. So that would essentially allow you to serve six two-year terms in the House, uh, and or it would allow you to serve three four-year terms in the Senate. The expectation here is that it's going to allow a lot of people to serve longer tenures in the state house than they're currently serving. 
Um, but also it allows the advocates for this proposal to say, hey, we're not extending term limits. We're actually shortening term limits by going to four, from 14 to 12. It's a very complicated system. And when you read the language on its face, you if you're a term limits opponent, you could see why they would read it and say, hey, this is actually a good step. And then you throw in the added dynamic that they're going to institute some level of new financial disclosure for lawmakers. There's no, nothing in this proposal that indicates that that is going to be a strict policy like the federal government has. It just says, hey, lawmakers, go figure out some type of financial disclosure policy for yourselves. Uh, but people are widely supportive of that idea. And what's going to happen is people are going to get in the voting booth. They're going to read a short description of these three constitutional amendments and likely make their decisions based on that. Before we head out, I wanted to check in on the GOP primary race for governor. That election is coming up in about a month. We've narrowed the field to five candidates. Yes. Four of them held a debate recently. What have we learned and are any of them emerging as the front runner? I don't think that there is a front runner at this moment. Still. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell your listeners. No, I mean, this is a jump ball still. There is uh, 25 days now remaining until the August 2nd primary, and you essentially have a four-way race. You have Ryan Kelly, who is uh, the real estate broker from Allendale, who has been uh, pushed into the public spotlight by his arrest in connection to the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in 2021. He's gotten a ton of public attention. He also has this name, Kelly which has a long record of success in Michigan politics. Uh, it's a name that apparently resonates with Michigan voters for a variety of reasons. We had a long-term, a long-time attorney general in the state with the last name Kelly. Uh, we've had lots of Supreme Court nominees put up with the last name Kelly. Uh, there's a lot of debate over how well voters know any of these candidates. So that's something to watch. And then you got to watch also Kevin Rinke, the businessman from Bloomfield Township, who is the person that's actually spending money. He's running TV ads. He seems to be running uh, potentially the most uh, kind of typical campaign for governor in terms of having a large campaign team, in terms of rolling out these TV ads on a regular basis. He's got a policy idea he's pushing, doing away with the state's income tax. He's someone to watch. I mean, he definitely has a path to the nomination and it runs through letting voters know who he is by running these ads across the state. And then there's Tudor Dixon, uh, the conservative commentator from Norton Shores, who's getting, uh, I'd say about 90% of the endorsements in the race. All of the big name Republicans in this state are endorsing her. There's some sign of momentum for her. And it's gonna be a question of whether uh, that those endorsements and kind of the establishment support that's going behind her can be enough to get her across the line. And the fourth candidate here that, that has a chance at this is Garrett Saldano, the chiropractor from Matawan. He has a grassroots base of support. And if you're a Saldano supporter, the argument for him right now of why he has a chance is he seems to have brought a lot of new people into Michigan politics. Are these polls that are happening capturing his support? We know with Donald Trump in the past, the polls were not great at capturing his support in Michigan. Could Garrett Saldano get a 5% bump on election day that's not coming through in the polls? And could that lead him to be the winner of the race? We'll wait and see. Craig Mogger with the Detroit News. It's always wonderful to have you with us here on Mishmash. Thank you for having me. I just poured my notebook out there for you. So thank you. 